My name is Alan. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet, um, I have the privilege of serving as the uh, lead pastor here, the senior pastor, as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us today uh, here in the building and or at home for those of you that are worshiping online. Um, I know that we have several guests today and we're so thankful that you chose to come and worship with us today. Hope that you've met some of our good folks so far. And then uh, as we dismiss in a little bit, I'd love a chance to get to uh, meet you, get to know you a bit. I'll be out in the foyer. Another way that we can get to know you is by using those uh, guest cards that are found in a chair near you that you can drop in the offering plate when it's passed. When we pass those, we ask guests, don't feel obligated to put any money in there, uh, but we would love for you to drop that connection card in so that we can uh, get to know you a little bit better. There are lots of good things going on in the life of our church. Um, you heard some of those from Ricky. Uh, I love the fact that she kind of reminded us she's a real person, and uh, she wasn't being funny. She just shared that because, in all honesty, we've had some folks that have, uh, when they met her, go, oh my goodness, I didn't know that you really were a real person to go to church here. So uh, it's good to uh, kind of laugh about that and, uh, and realize that she's a very vital part of our church, our church family, and our church staff. Uh, but she shared several things that are going on in the life of our church. A couple things I want to highlight. Men, there is a men's retreat, this community-wide retreat. Central Church is hosting it. We're a part of it as well as about six or seven other churches. And there'll be times where we're together as a large group and times where we're together as just the men uh, from Living Hope. And so uh, tomorrow is the deadline to sign up for that. You can find that on the Hope and sign up. You can call the church office tomorrow if you need to. And then also our equipping classes started this morning. We have five great classes, four on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and one for women that meets on Thursday nights. I'm going blank on the start time. Somebody tell me, is it 7? seven o'clock and it meets here at the building as well. The women's class has not started yet, so you could sign up and be here and not miss a class. It, it, on Sunday morning, if you wanna be in one, we do ask you to go ahead and sign up this week and jump in so that you don't miss any other classes. And next week is week two. Um, I know that my class, we had a great time in there and I trust that the other classes went well also. Hopefully you got a Bible with you. If you don't, don't feel bad about that because we've got some Bibles near you. There should be a Bible underneath a chair or around you. Go ahead and grab that. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you need another Bible at the house, feel free to take that. That'll be a gift from us to you. Uh, you'll see, uh, hopefully you picked up a worship guide. You'll see on the front here we're starting a new series today. It's called To the Nations. It's actually resuming another series. We are jumping back into the book of Acts. This section of the book of Acts we're titling To the Nations. And then on the back of uh, the worship guide there is a sermon notes. There are sermon notes here that you can follow along with us. And at the bottom you'll see that next week we'll be in Acts chapter 13 verses 4 through 12. But today we are in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. We'll look at those verses in just a moment, but before we do, I want to kind of set us up where, where we've been and where we're going. Today we resume a story about the church in Antioch, and I want us to look at a map that'll kind of show us where Antioch is in proximity to everything else. Um, you'll see here um, at the kind of midsection on the right-hand side uh, is the name Antioch, and uh, that is the city where everything's taking place today. You'll see that Jerusalem's down south, and then to the left is, is Turkey and Greece. That's not what they were called then, but that's where they are now. Cyprus and uh, Crete, I'd like for you to see where those islands are because we're going to mention those in a moment. And then south of Jerusalem, that's not on the map, is, um, is, uh, is northern Africa. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But anyway, everything's happening there in Antioch. And Antioch is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's in the southeast corner of what is today Turkey. And it was the capital of Syria back then. 
approximately a half a million people lived in Antioch at that time, which made it the third largest city in um, the, the Greco-Roman world, uh, third to Rome, Alexandria, and then Antioch. Antioch was a cosmopolitan city. Uh, it was religiously pluralistic. And uh, lots of things are happening there, many different uh, nationalities and ethnicities and languages spoken and all of that. Back in chapter 11, because remember last year we walked through the book of Acts, back in chapter 11 of Acts, we are first introduced to the church in Antioch. And the way that we hear it, and I think it starts in like verse 19, we're not going to read it right now, but in that verse, we see that men come from Cyprus and Cyrene. You remember those two uh, islands that were there in the Mediterranean Sea? Men came from there and they preached Jesus. Many people believed and a church was started. When they were preaching Jesus, they were preaching to the Greeks and the Gentiles specifically, not to the Jewish, although the Jews could hear the message. Their focal point was the Greeks and the Gentiles. Um, and then when the church in Jerusalem heard about it, they sent Barnabas, uh, one of the faithful uh, apostles and disciples there in Jerusalem, to kind of check things out and to encourage them. He was very encouraged by what he saw. All this is in chapter 11 of Acts. And then he goes, you know what? I need my buddy to come help me. And so he goes and gets Saul. I'm probably going to begin to refer to Saul as Paul right now because Saul and Paul is the same guy. One's a Hebrew name, the other's a Greek name, same guy. Uh, but, but Barnabas goes and gets Paul and brings him back to Antioch. And chapter 11 says that for a solid year, Barnabas and Saul, I mean Paul, they discipled the people there at the church. They taught about Jesus, they discipled them, helped them grow in their faith. And then in chapter 12 of Acts, the story temporarily moved back to Jerusalem. And then today, as we pick up the story in chapter 13, it comes back to Antioch. In fact, if you'll look at the last verse of chapter 12, here's what it says. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so it, this verse, 12, 25, ties chapter 11 in with chapter 13, and now we start chapter 13. We're just going to look at three verses today. And the reason we do that is because Paul and Barnabas are about to go on a missionary journey. In fact, if you know much about Paul, you probably remember that he went on three missionary journeys, and the book of Acts tells those three missionary journeys. And we're going to get through journey one and journey two before we get to Easter. But before we get to journey one, we have to see how it all began. And so today we're going to look at verses one through three of chapter 13. Here's what it says. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and it lists five men by name, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, or the king, and Saul, or Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying... They laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, anytime you read a text, whether it's during a sermon or studying for a hope group or in a Bible study class or hopefully on each morning of the week when you read God's Word, anytime we look to God's Word, we need to do a few things. We need to observe some things that are going on in that text. We need to interpret to understand what's going on, and then we need to seek to apply it to our lives. And so we need to observe, 
We need to interpret and we need to apply. We need to do that with every text we come across. And this morning, we're going to definitely do that with this text. And so you'll see at the beginning of your sermon notes, it says observations about the church at Antioch. So I want us to make some observations here. First, I want us to acknowledge the fact that many people that are followers of Jesus, understandably so, they kind of elevate the church in Jerusalem, and they go, you know what, the church in Jerusalem, back in Acts chapter 2, where they had all this unity, they had all this commonality, if we could only get back to how the church in Jerusalem did things, then, then we would be in the right area. Now, hear me say, I'm not knocking the church in Jerusalem, that's not what I'm doing. But what I am saying is, in many ways, actually, the church in Antioch is a little bit better of a model for us to see what the church should be like. And what I mean by that is God chose to use the church in Antioch to start a worldwide mission endeavor. In fact, whenever we start looking in the verses next week and the rest of the book of Acts, the majority of what takes place here does not take place in Jerusalem or Judea or in that landmass that's connected to Israel. Rather, it all takes place west of there in areas that we would know as Turkey and the Balkan region, the Balkan region including Macedonia and Greece and that surrounding area. So God uses the church in Antioch to start a modern, or not a modern, sorry, to start a foreign mission effort. The people in Antioch were the first to intentionally preach the gospel to the Gentile people in their city. Up until this point, whenever the gospel got to the Gentiles, it was because someone went from their city to another city in a, a surrounding area because God did something dramatically to draw them there. Like if you remember the story of, of Peter when he went to Cornelius's house. But at Antioch, they were just living life in their city on an everyday basis and beginning to share the gospel intentionally with the people in their city. And then as we're going to find out in this text, they do something pretty incredible, and they're the first to send missionaries to the end of the earth, or as we're calling this series, to the nations. God gave them a vision for foreign missions. I want us to remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Do you remember that verse? That verse is kind of pointing us the entire book of where we're going in the life of the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus gave the church not just then, but now as well, Jesus gave the church a mission. And that mission was to be his witness to people everywhere, to share the gospel everywhere. Antioch got it. They sent Paul and Barnabas and others to go out on mission to reach the nations with the gospel. My question to us is, what was it that made them successful at living out Jesus' mission. If you want to take some notes under the observation, maybe you already have, but here's three things that I see real quickly in the life of the church in Antioch that positioned them for this. Number one is they had diverse leadership. They had diverse leadership. Look back at verse one. We see in verse one that five prophets and teachers are listed. They're very similar to what we call our elders. And these five men were very diversified. It says Barnabas was one. 
Here's something you need to know about Barnabas. He was a Hellenized Jew, which means he knew Greek. He lived more the Greek lifestyle than he did the Jewish lifestyle. He was from Cyprus, which was an island out there in the Mediterranean. We looked at it a moment ago. Then it says Simeon, also called Niger. Do you know what the word Niger means? The word Niger is a Latin word for black or dark. And so very likely, most likely, he was from Africa. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene. Where's Cyrene? Cyrene is on the northern coast of, of Africa, and it's in what today would be referred to as Libya. It says that men came from Cyrene and Cyprus to preach the gospel in Antioch, so the question is, perhaps, maybe, Lucius was one of the first men to come and share the gospel in Antioch. And then it says, Menean, who was brought up with, or a lifelong companion with, Herod Antipas, the king. I don't know if you remember much about Herod Antipas, but he was the guy who had John the Baptist beheaded, all right? He was kind of high society. So what does it mean that he was brought up with him? We don't know for sure because it could mean he was like a foster brother to, uh, to Herod Antipas, or at the very least, he was a very close friend, like a neighborhood buddy that spent lots of time with him. And then we have Saul, who was a Pharisee and a rabbi. Five men with all different backgrounds. Their leadership was just like the city. It was heterogeneous. It was just like the church. They were made up of diversity. And so we see that strong, diverse leadership was part of what God used to position them for missions. Would you do me a favor? Would you join me, not right this second, although you can, I'm not going to pray out loud right now, but would you join me in praying that here at Living Hope we would see more diversity? What would it be like if we had even more diversity in our church? And even more importantly, what would it look like if we had more diversity in our leadership structure here at church? Here's the second thing that positions them to be a worldwide mission-sending effort, and that is in verse 2. We see that they're a worshiping or fasting church. More than likely in verse 2, where it talks about them worshiping and fasting and serving the Lord, it's not for a special occasion. It's just their regular rhythm of life. They weren't coming together going, hey, I wonder if today we're supposed to send somebody in missions. No, I think they were just gathered to worship. They were a part of their regular rhythm, normal worship, seeking the Lord and fasting and worshiping him. The people in the church in Antioch were devoted to the Lord, which caused them as a church body to actively seek the Lord as well. The word worship is used here in the ESV. Others of yours might say service, but it carries with it actually the idea of prayer more than just singing worship songs. It's an attitude of prayerfulness which enabled them to hear the Holy Spirit. Do we see in verse 2 what the Holy Spirit said to them? And do we see that in verse 2 there are quotation marks around this? So it's not a summary of what the Holy Spirit said, but literally what the Holy Spirit said. We don't know how they heard him. They don't know, we don't know if he heard him audibly, but it was clear what the Holy Spirit said. And the Holy Spirit said, set aside these two men for the work to which I have called them. So they were worshiping and fasting. Real quickly, I want to hit the idea of fasting because most of us uh, probably are not too familiar with fasting and don't maybe practice it on a regular basis, but Scripture talks about fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is an abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Desiring to be more like Christ is for a specific purpose like repenting of sins or praying for something or seeking guidance for a decision. It's this idea of waiting on the Lord and listening to the Holy Spirit as he leads us. So the thing I would like to ask of you in this observation is to encourage you 
to consider taking some equipping classes. You're like, wait a minute, why did you just say equipping classes? You didn't say anything about equipping classes, you're talking about worship and fasting. The reason I'm saying that is because in our equipping classes, we can give ourselves some tools to use to seek the Holy Spirit and to hear his voice, and even in this idea of fasting. And so I want to highlight a couple of, um, of equipping classes. Last year, we took Experiencing God. I did. And in there, we learned how to hear the Holy Spirit and to respond to him. This year, we've got one of our classes that's called Christian Disciplines, where they're covering all the Christian disciplines, including fasting, on how to hear the Holy Spirit. So here's the third thing, observation about the church of Antioch. They sent Barnabas and Saul on mission, or Paul on mission. We see that in verse 3. It says they did that after doing three things in the Greek. In the Greek, it says, having fasted, having prayed, having laid on the hands. They only sent Paul and Barnabas after fasting, after praying, and after laying their hands on them. And what we see here is that they obey after worshiping the Lord. In fact, obedience is a part of worship. Obedience is not separate from worship. What does it mean to lay hands on? Laying hands on someone in this context is to an act of commissioning, sending them off for a task for the Lord. I would encourage us that we would be like Antioch, that we would worship and pray and fast, that we'd be devoted to the Lord, that we would obey the Lord. And kind of the application point here is this. Notice from verse 2 to verse 3, they didn't just have a God moment in verse 2 and then go about life in general. No, they had a God moment in verse 2, and then they acted and obeyed him in verse 3 by continuing to worship him. So as we worship the Lord and we hear him speak to us and give us guidance, we continue to worship him so we can act in obedience. So, those are some observations about the church in Antioch. Now let's look at some practical steps, some application points, which are these next three. Don't panic, we've covered half the message, even though there's three more points here. What are some application steps that we can take based upon the things that we've seen in this text? The first one is there on your notes. Devotion to the Lord positions us to hear and obey the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not enough just to hear the Holy Spirit. We need to obey the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us. So we hear him and then we obey, but the only way we can really position ourselves to do so is if we're devoted to the Lord. You see, worship is all about seeking God first at all times. We, we did this series, remember, last three weeks. First things first. We talk about devotion to the Lord, how we devote to him first, and then all the other things will come about as we walk through life. Worship is not about attending a worship service on Sunday mornings. Worship is about a lifestyle, which includes coming together on Sunday mornings for a worship together. Look at this text. I'm not sure if it's on the screen or not, but Matthew 6, verse 33. Here's what it says. But seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So as they sought the Lord, they heard the Lord and all these other things are added as they are following him. As staff this week, we were talking about this passage and we were reflecting on all that it's about. We talked about the devotion to the Lord helps us to hear the Lord and to obey the Holy Spirit. And we acknowledge that at least here in America, we have a tendency to say, I need to know what the Lord's will is for my life. I need to know what I need to do. I need to know who I need to marry. I need to know what school I need to go to. I need to know what job I need to have. I need to know what town I need to move to. Don't hear me say those things aren't important. But what I'm saying is that's not the right prayer. The right prayer is not what is the Lord's will for my life. The question is, what is the Lord's will? Period. End of sentence. 
Because if I'm seeking the Lord's kingdom first, then he will begin to answer these other secondary questions. Let's not make it about ourselves, let's make it about him. Some things that we help, sorry, let me list some things for us that will help us ensure that we hear from the Holy Spirit and we can obey him. So if it's devotion to the Lord that enables us or positions us to hear and obey the Holy Spirit, what are some of these things we should be devoted to? I'm going to list a few of them, and in fact, if you were with us uh, the last couple of weeks, I don't know where my note, oh, there it is. Um, if you were with us the last couple of weeks, we, we, we looked at a commitment card, and it's the same sort of things that were on this uh, that we looked at together as a church family. The things that are going to allow us to be devoted to the Lord is spending time with Him. Are, are we praying? Are we studying the Scripture? Are we fellowshipping with other believers? All of those things prepare us to hear from the Holy Spirit. Talking about these commitments, many of you, there was about a hundred of you that turned in a card. And you marked some commitments that you felt like the Lord was leading you to. Side note real quick, I did not know this until looking at the cards this week. I did not realize that about three-fourths of our church members are doctors. And the reason I say that is because on the signature card, three-fourths of you, your handwriting is not legible. So therefore, I think, take it that you're doctors. In fact, there was one of you that expressed that you were interested in inquiring about a D group. And I said, circle it so we can reach out to you. That person's also a doctor, but they like to draw pictures of fly swatters. So if you drew a fly swatter on your card, I don't know who you are. Come see me and I'll tell you about D groups, all right? Most of what I just said is true. It wasn't quite three-fourths, but it was very true to what I said. But about 100 people turned in one of these cards last week. My question is, what did you commit to? Whether you turned a card in or not is beside the point. What did you commit to? And have you followed up with any of it? Have you put any of it into practice? You're like, Alan, it's been a week. Like, I'm going to get around to it. No, no. Have we put it into practice? If we want to be hearing from the Holy Spirit and obeying him, we've got to be devoted to him, and that's part of how we are devoted to him. Not, not fulfilling these commitments because I asked you about it, but because these are genuine commitments that hopefully we felt the Lord calling us to take. These are the kind of steps that will position us to hear from the Lord. So here's the question I would ask you to think about yourself. You might even write it down. Here's the question, phrase as if you're saying it. Am I positioned to hear the Holy Spirit and act on what he says? Am I positioned to hear the Holy Spirit and act upon what he says? And if the answer is no, then what adjustments are needed? So one way that we can be learning from the church in Antioch is that we know that devotion to the Lord positions us to hear and obey the Holy Spirit. They were devoted to the Lord, they were seeking him, they were hearing his voice, and they responded. The second thing we see from this text, from this church, is the Holy Spirit calls the church to mission. The Holy Spirit calls the church to mission. It's there on your handout. The Antioch church clearly heard the Holy Spirit. The reason I know that, we made this observation this week too as the staff was looking at it. It's not a summary, which oftentimes happens in Scripture, which is a fine thing to do to summarize what took place. And then other times, quotation marks are there. Luke said, no, this, I say Luke because Luke wrote the book of Acts down. 
Luke said, this is what the Holy Spirit said. It's in quotation marks. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's not all spelled out yet, but it's clear the Lord has called them to work. He's called them to mission Paul already knew he would be an apostle to the Gentiles. He didn't know exactly how that was going to work. But we know that as they did this, they were to send Paul and Barnabas around the then known world to preach the gospel, which means the church was living on mission. But bear with me, because it wasn't just Paul and Barnabas that were to preach and live on mission. All the church was called to live on mission. As I said a moment ago, Acts 1.8 was not given just to the men that, and women that were there when Jesus ascended into heaven. No, the Acts 1.8 was written for all of us today as well, for every believer of all time. So when I say the Holy Spirit calls the church on mission, what I'm not saying is the Holy Spirit today calls pastors to live on mission, although he does that. That's not the, the, not the exhaustive is what I mean. It's not saying that God just calls pastors to live on mission. It's not just saying that God just calls elders to live on mission. It's not saying that missionaries are the only ones to live on mission. The reality is that all followers of Jesus should be living on mission. You see, the church does not exist to simply gather in a building. The church exists to gather, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to then scatter out into the world with the gospel. At the very least, you and I that are followers of Jesus are called to scatter into Bryan College Station with the gospel. And I present to you, I think some of us, the Holy Spirit is calling us to go out, maybe even across the pond to another country and live as a missionary. God's not out of the calling business. Now, let me Step aside for a moment. If you're a school teacher, if you're a housewife, if you're a doctor, if you're retired, if you um, pick up the trash, if you work at McDonald's, it doesn't mean that any of those are less of a calling than a calling to go live vocationally as a missionary. It just means when I use the term here, called, I'm specifically talking about this calling into missions. But it does not mean a greater calling. Is that making sense? Hopefully, hopefully, all right? Okay, good deal. Here at our church, we talk about be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. We're called to live on mission, to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. My question for reflection is this, and you may want to jot it down. Is living hope living out this mission? Be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. Are we living out this mission, or do we just like to talk about it? You're like, I don't even talk about Alan. All right, well, maybe start talking about it some. Let's go live it out. We're called to be on mission. And then the last thing we see from the church in Antioch is this. It's actually three sentences, all one point. Some send. Others are sent. All are used by God for his glory. I want us to look at verses 2 and 3 again in chapter 13. Notice who does the calling. Verse 2. In verse 2, it says, at the end of verse 2, I have called them. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. That's God. In verse 2, we see that God alone does the calling. But in verse 3, 
We see that the church sets them apart. In verse 3, it says they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We see that God takes the initiative by calling people into mission, and the church affirms that call. The, God does the work and the calling. The church responds and says, yes, Lord. The church must do its part. Fast. Pray. Seek the Lord. Seek his guidance through devotion and worship. I don't want you to miss a point that's not written in the text, but it's clear from the text. Look back in verse 1. Look at the five names of those men. And then look in verse 2 of the men that they're to set apart. Do you see that there are five names listed in verse 1? There's two names listed in verse 2. These two are to be sent. They're two of the five. What God is saying, you've got five strong leaders I need two of them to leave your church and go do work elsewhere. I'm not saying that Paul and Barnabas were better than the rest. I'm not saying that these five were better than the rest, but these were the five strongest leaders they had, and God's saying you need to sacrifice two of them, not like literally, but you're to allow them to leave even though they are two of your strongest. Do you remember which two men discipled them for over a year? Paul and Barnabas. These two men were an integral part of what takes place in Antioch. And God says, it's not about Antioch. It's about my kingdom, my glory. I need these two men to no longer stay here and they need to go elsewhere. Church, we to live on mission, we as a church to send and to be sent need to acknowledge that at times we are willing or all, all the time we need to be willing to give up our very best. It's not about our little holy huddle here. It's about the kingdom. You see, ascending church is not a selfish church. Ascending church is not a selfish church. And I want us to be a sending church, an unselfish church, willing to send the very best. What did it mean when they laid hands on them? That's part of the sending process, right? As they laid hands on them, it's as if they're saying, we are with you. As you go, we go. We are a part of you. We're doing this together. So the sending and the sent are working together, even though they're not doing the exact same task. I had a chance to kind of reflect through the 25 years of our church history. I've only been here for almost five now, which is crazy. Like, I've been here almost five years. But 25 years of our church history, and I know I may be leaving out some details. If you've been here for a long time, please forgive me if I'm leaving some names out. But these are the ones that I'm aware of. We have laid our hands on people literally and figuratively to send them out with the gospel. We do that whenever teams go on short-term mission trips uh, in various places. But I want to list people that are beyond that. Uh, I mean, not beyond like better, but doing something else, right? So, uh, about 13 years ago, this church said, we're not going to be selfish. We're going to send some of our very best, and I believe that's what took place, some of our very best, we gave permission to leave and start two, not one, two new churches in our cities. Did you know that about 13 years ago, I know if you were here, you know about it. If you weren't, you may not know this. Two churches were started from this church family. This church launched New Life Baptist Church. If you've ever heard of, seen New Life Baptist Church on University Drive, close to campus, pastored by Alan Duty in College Station, our church planted that by sending some of our very best. Alan Duty was on staff here when he went. And then 
at the same, about, about the same time, we planted Living Hope in Bryan. It's not a campus of ours, it's another church. And up until about last month, FG had been the pastor. He's now gone to Virginia to serve there. Let's be praying for Living Hope as they're looking for a new pastor at their church. But we sent some of our very best there. 13 years ago, we literally sent some of our best and prayed over them and sent them and blessed them. And they're in our community. We weren't turf protecting at all. I love that. What would it look like if God calls us to do that again? Would we be willing or would we say, oh, no, like we gave some of our very best up. We can't do that again. Here's the second one. I, I don't know how long ago, but several years ago, I believe less than 10. I believe maybe more than seven. I'm not going to say their names for security reasons, but perhaps you know who I'm talking about. They serve in Southeast Asia. The husband was on staff here at our church. They're serving with the International Mission Board, and we sent them to Southeast Asia so that they could go and serve there. About two and a half years ago, one of our recent college grads, Kaylee Vessels, we sent her off to Portland, Oregon, so that she could do collegiate ministry there. Recently, I use the word recently because I can't remember how long ago. Recently, within the last year or so, we sent Moses and Sarah Saldivar off. And Moses is mobilizing U.S. Latino churches to the Muslim world, and he's beginning that process as he works for Grace Church and Frontiers. And then another that we have sent out that actually is sitting right here in front of me is Callie Bearden. And I don't know how long ago we said we're blessing her, but I do know that about a year and a half ago we started financially contributing to the work she's doing. And she works for, I always have to look at it because I never say the CMM correctly, so I've got it right here. Callie, it's the Center for Mission Mobilization. I want us to put church in there instead of center. But anyway, center for mission mobilization. Now, I want us to pause for just a moment. Don't go, oh my goodness, look at us. We sent a bunch of people off. Our job is done. Let's pat ourselves on the back. I'm a good sender. I want to say this right here. This is not a word from the Lord. I don't have somebody's name in mind, but I know how the Lord works. I believe that in a room this size and people watching online, there are some of you, there are some of us, you need to be the sent and not just the sender. There are some of you in this room that God wants in vocational ministry to either be a pastor or work on a church staff or be a missionary. Here's an incredible program that we have. We partner with the International Mission Board. They have a two-year program where someone that's graduated, I don't remember all the requirements, so bear with me, but I think you maybe had to start college, maybe even graduate, but let's consider just for a moment, imagine between the year of age of 18 to 24, instead of just jumping into a job or just jumping into school, School, what if we jumped into two years of missions endeavors to see if the Lord is calling you there we got another girl that attended a membership class last week and her sister did that very thing and here's the not from our church from another church up uh, close to white right Texas and she went over to the Middle East and here's the cool thing after two years she said it's not enough God's calling me to do more and she's added two, three, four more years to it. My statement to you is, whether you're young or whether you're old, consider, could the Lord be calling you to missions? You're like, oh, that couldn't be me. I got plans. I'm going to go to Texas A&M. 
I'm going to start a family. I'm going to have a wife and two and a half kids and a white picket fence. My mama and daddy would kill me if I moved to Africa. Can we sit in this for a moment? Could God be calling some of you into missions? And I know what some of you that are retired are thinking, man, I wish I had that opportunity when I was a college student. I'm here to tell you, International Mission Board also has some programs where retired folks can go and do the same thing. And then all of you that are in between going, "Woo, I'm off the hook. He's mentioned the young, and he's mentioned the old, and I'm right in the middle. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Before you assume that you're just the sender, would you spend some time asking the Lord, am I being sent? Now, I know the sending that took place in Isaiah chapter 6 that, that, that uh, Eric mentioned a moment ago is not the same sending, but think back to Isaiah chapter 6 and the Lord is saying, who will we send? Who will go on behalf of us? And, and, and if you've ever watched Shrek, forgive me for this, but I think of the scene in Shrek, and I see Isaiah hopping up and down, pick me, pick me, and God picks him and sends him. And here's the deal, Isaiah went and preached the good news of the kingdom and almost no response, but God called him and he went. Before you assume that you're the sender and you fit the category of other, uh, some sinned, you might fit the category of others are sent. You're like, quit talking about this, Alan. Move on. I don't want to move on yet. Here's what I'm not doing. I'm not guilting any of us to say yes. Because only God calls, not Alan. But if God's calling or might be calling, you better investigate. Invite your church family to be a part of it because then the church can affirm that if that's where God is leading you. Now, I will move on. Some ways in 2023 that you and I as a church family can send, we can support the senders and be sent. Here are some ways that you and I can participate in that in 2023. In the very near future, we're planning on having some disaster relief training that will help us in our region help places when they experience disaster and they're hit with disaster. Whenever you hear about that, consider signing up for that. We as a church are trying to be sent out into our city and do ministry in our city. And there's going to be more opportunities for that. We're looking for ways to, uh, uh, to partner with places like Kaylee, our friends in Southeast Asia, CMM, and others. How can we partner with them? And then one that I'm really excited about that I want to mention to you real quickly, and maybe you heard me talk about the last couple years, is our church is going to uh, send a group of people to partner with some missionaries that are already on the ground in Guatemala, and we're going to do a camp for missionary kids, those that are children and those that are youth age and my family and I have participated in that we would love for you to come be a part of that if you're at all interested in going to Guatemala this year it's not so much a mission trip where we're going to be evangelizing on the street corners and stuff of Guatemala rather we're going to be supporting we're going to kind of send missionaries by supporting the missionaries that are already on the ground that's going to take place the week of June 10th through the 17th if you're interested let me know we won't all go 
And I'm talking about not just Guatemala, I'm talking about other places. We won't all go, but some of us will. God's calling some of you to the life of missions and ministry. So the question that I would have you write down on this one is, is God calling me? Is God calling me? And then the other question I ask for our church is, are we as a church helping identify and send those whom God is calling? Don't run from this. Don't shy away from this question. If God is calling you into ministry or you think he is, talk to someone today. Begin the conversation. Say yes if God is calling you. God is clearly doing the work when he calls his church to follow him and be on mission for him. And as we draw close to him, we will hear from him and we can take steps of obedience. The mission is fueled by worship and expectant prayer. The story in Acts chapter 13 is drenched in prayer and worship. May our church be drenched in prayer and worship also. You saw in the video that we have a prayer that happens on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. We have prayer that happens in our hope groups. We have prayer that happens at Sunday morning during pastoral prayer. We have prayer that happens on our own. We need to be a praying church. And I want to leave you with this thought. A praying church becomes a witnessing church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. A praying church becomes a witnessing church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. May we follow him as he leads us. This morning, as we finish up this time and begin our chance to respond, we're going to do so by taking the Lord's Supper. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, his finished work on the cross, in his burial and in his resurrection, if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of our church or not, we invite you, if the Lord is leading you to participate in the Lord's Supper today, to do so. I'm going to kind of walk through some explanations and then we'll do that. We're going to pick it up in just a moment from one of the four tables. There's two in the front, there's two in the back. Uh, if I'm pointing to the right tables, I believe it's this table here and the table in the back, back corner, back there. They have some gluten-free options for those of you that need to get that. But there'll be Lord's Supper material at all those places. If you need help getting it, ask a neighbor to go get it for you. If you need help, raise your hand. Some deacons will be in the back that can serve you as well. Don't take the, the, the cup and the bread until you come back and sit down, and we'll do that as a church family in just a moment. Spend some time praying and preparing your heart to receive this. And the reason we're taking the Lord's Supper now is because if the Lord is leading us to live a life on mission for him, it's all grounded in the truth of what Jesus did on our behalf. And we're taking a moment to reflect on the fact that Jesus bled and died and was resurrected again for our hope. His body was broken for us. His blood was poured out. He died on the cross, but that wasn't the end. He was raised on the third day. He's seated at the right hand of God right now. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back to take us someday. And as we celebrate this supper, may it be a reminder of what he did for us and a look forward to his return. We're commanded in Scripture that any time we take the Lord's Supper, that we're to do it in remembrance of him, remembrance of what he did for us, and in remembrance of what he promised to do as he comes to bring us to his presence.